Hey, it's 10.07, and I'm glad to have you with us and glad to be with you. Uh, we were talking about political parties, uh, changing parties as you get older. There's a story in the Wall Street Journal uh, that as you get older, you tend to be more Republican, more conservative. Uh, and I was asking if that's happened to you, if you've changed political parties as you got older. Uh, one of the listeners said, I started out as a Democrat and realized the media was lying to me, so I became a Republican, realized the Republican establishment were really just the same as the Democrats. So I became a libertarian, realized the libertarians aren't effective, so I became a Republican. And then I was forced out of the ALGOP by the executive committee, so I became a libertarian again. Woo! That's quite a political ride. Uh, another listener said, uh, as a young professional, I thought it would make me more worldly to read the New York Times op-ed, so I subscribed to their email. I was fairly politically unaware at the time, reading their op-eds and thinking, that's the stupidest thing I ever read, turned me into, co into a conservative. I tend to vote Republican because they do stupid things more slowly, while Democrats appear to pursue evil more actively and effectively. But I don't like either side of what seems to be a uniparty. Uh, and then to that end, let's go back to the phones. Greg is on the line. Greg, welcome. Hey, Gary. Um, I graduated from high school in 1971 and went to Mizzou the following year. Let my hair grow out. Thought I was a hippie. Um, and then I started hanging out and noticing what the, the hippies were doing. And apparently they were the liberals, you know. But uh, I don't know. I, I guess I determined that... Uh, those guys were in it for themselves. I mean, that's what I was seeing anyway. A lot of them were willing to, to cheat or say anything or just do whatever to get free stuff and, I don't know, live off of other people. <laughs> and so I guess I I never really, I, 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 I don't know that I changed my voting habits, but I guess I realized that I wasn't a hippie, even though I let my hair grow out, just more of a trend, I guess, than anything. But, uh, I'm, uh, I determined that I was a conservative when I was, I guess, in my early 20s, and I've kind of hung out there ever since. <laughs> <laughs> kind of hung out there ever since. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Oh, one other. I, okay, so I, I, when I, I was growing up, the Vietnam War was going on, and the news every night, I mean, they talked about how many people died. I mean, they just hit it and hit it and hit it. And when COVID was going on, it really brought that back to me, that the news was just exactly the same, only different circumstances. And I, so I quit watching the news, and I don't, uh, I don't listen to TV news anymore, and very rarely read papers or whatever. So I'm probably not very well informed, but at least I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Ignorance is bliss, right? No. <laughs> uh, well, actually, um, the uh, Vietnam War. I think Vietnam and Korea really helped boost the left politically. Oh, I think so, too. I mean, the news were behind 100%. Uh, if, if we hadn't gone into Vietnam uh, or been a part of this conflict in Korea, I think a lot more people would have grown up as conservatives. Um, and, and, you know, the number of uh, anti-war protesters who ended up going into teaching to avoid... Uh, getting drafted. Draft, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we really set ourselves up uh, by not uh, ending those wars pronto. Greg, yeah, thank you for the call. Point. 
Yep. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Dave, welcome. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. How are you? Dave? Just me? Yes, sir. Okay, yeah. I wanted to talk about changing parties. Uh, I'm uh, pretty much a Reagan Democrat, although I voted for Nixon originally. And uh, uh, But when they uh, were doing this McCarthy thing, the 15 votes and playing those games, I got pretty upset, but stayed with the Republicans. And this last time, they had the uh, eight... And they voted Jordan down twice. And this, they did the 22 voted him down. So I sent my, uh, late one night, I sent uh, my re- representative, Mark Alford, I think is his name. And I said, uh, the 22 have sent a message to the Republican caucus. Please send them a message for me. I just changed the Libertarian. And I'm glad I did. Wow. That's quite a change. All right, Dave, good luck. Thank you very much. Welcome aboard, by the way. All right, so you go to sell a house. Now, I purchased and sold my house in Columbia with the same realtors, and, and they, were, they were friends of ours. They, they really did uh, a terrific job. And uh, we... We actually had a, a discussion about commission. I'd asked them to lower it by one percent, and they did. And they still and they sold the house. Uh, in fact, they sold it for more than we were asking, and they sold it. I think within two or three days, it was uh, it was a, a remarkable job they did. Um, but I didn't realize. And now there's a lawsuit pending out of it's it's uh, Burnett uh, versus uh, NAR. It's a federal class action suit. Uh, Missouri home sellers brought against uh, the association, the National Association of Realtors. The case uh, went to trial last week. Uh, presents an existential threat to the cartel, to the to the uh, uh, the board of realtors, the National Association of Realtors. Would you believe that they spent, I think, more money than any other group? Behind the teachers' union, the one, the one and a half million uh, member uh, National Association of Realtors spent eighty-one point seven million dollars on political lobbying in twenty twenty-two, more than any other business. Writes the Wall Street Journal. Uh, behind the teachers' unions, it is the most powerful special interest in the country. It claims to help consumers, the Wall Street Journal says. It's a cartel that seeks primarily to enrich its members by expanding government control over middle-class Americans' largest source of wealth, their homes. Isn't it amazing how many people... I mean, it is It is the second largest purchase you're going to make, your home. And look at how many people want a piece of it. For most of us, it is, it is... It, it's our greatest asset. Cars depreciate, stock market we don't generally have a lot of money in. We have some, but the real money is in our home. And everybody wants a piece of it. it, it, it it's kind of frustrating, you know, if you're in favor of helping the middle class and the little guy, why would you, why would you take a big chunk of the one asset 
that they all aspire to have. Anyway, the class action lawsuit that Missouri home sellers have brought against the association uh, could cripple them in many ways. The case went to trial last week. Uh, home sellers are challenging their anti-competitive rule that requires them to make a blanket offer of compensation to buyer brokers, that's the realtor, the buyer broker, uh, to list their homes on an affiliated uh, local uh, multiple listing service, the MLS database. They, the databases, uh, serve the same function as a stock exchange without the competition. Uh, they, the Wall Street Journal says this because the organization has restricted their, the, the ability of their members to list homes anywhere else. You list it in the MLS, that's it. Since the MLS databases are de facto monopolies, sellers haven't got a choice. Uh, they got to pay the inflated commissions uh, to the uh, realtors, even when they do little or no work. Total commissions average 6%, they said, for decades. Uh, 3% uh, for the uh, homeowner, 3% for the, uh, for the uh, buyer. What I didn't know is that commissions in the United States are two to three times as high as they are in Canada and Australia, Ireland, Netherlands, the UK. They check with, a, with an economist named Craig Shulman. Uh, he is apparently an expert witness uh, for the plaintiffs. Uh, and the realtors are, are used in as few as one in a hundred real estate sales in Australia which has similar home ownership rate to the United States. So the money that we're paying to realtors to sell our house is exorbitant compared to other countries. Other countries have found less expensive ways of doing this. But now the, the realtors have, have got such a toehold, such a foothold, a hold, it's, it's hard to know how you get out from under this. Uh, realtors say that buyers shouldn't be forced to go it alone, but eliminating the blanket comp uh, compensation rule wouldn't force buyers to find homes and negotiate their sales on their own. They could still pay uh, a realtor or a broker uh, a commission if they chose. The association's suggestion that low-income minorities need help is an insult, they say. I'll give you more details on this in just a few minutes. Uh, 874-9390, toll-free 800-529-5572, or go to GaryNolan.com, send me a message. It'll pop up right here in studio. It's the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. It's 1022. We're talking about uh, real estate and uh, the MLS and uh, how they drive up prices and how the MLS suppresses competition. And there are groups out there. There are places you can go like uh, Zillow and Trulia and Homes.com. Um, so alternatives are beginning to pop up. And we're, we're suing here in the state of Missouri. Uh, it, it's an anti-competitive uh, atmosphere, according to the lawsuit. Studies show that uh, realtors don't show homes to clients if the sellers offer lower commission. 
So if you do what I did, I happen to have, uh, I think, pretty honest uh, realtors that that I dealt with. And they, like I said, sold the house really quickly. But studies show that buyer brokers, realtors, if you will, don't show homes to clients if sellers offer lower commissions. Were it not for the association's rule, the plaintiffs argue, many buyers either wouldn't use a broker or would negotiate much lower commissions as they do in other developed countries. And we're paying two or three times what they are in other countries. So it's not just the government that's after your your one nest egg. Apparently the realtors are too. Realtors say that buyers shouldn't be forced to go it alone. Uh, did you ever buy a... By the way, if you do go to Trulia or, or uh, some of those other websites, they do offer listings of homes that aren't part of the MLS. So you can perhaps find a house and buy it without paying that commission. And I've done... I have purchased a... I, I bought a house in Cleveland without going through a realtor. Uh, I did go to a title agency, and uh, they worked out all the details, and it cost uh, way less, literally a few hundred dollars at the time, uh, to buy the house. So there are alternatives, but it's hard uh, with with the uh, MLS um, and the deals that they're making. The problem is, I'm not sure that this is a viable case. As much as I don't like the deal, as much as I don't like that the MLS and the National Association of Realtors uh, has this monopoly, it's not really a government-protected monopoly. It's an earned monopoly. They built this thing, and you can compete with them. You you have that right. The government doesn't stop you. They don't get in the way of it. And it's not going to be easy, but you can compete with them. So I'm not sure that this case in Missouri really stands the, uh, the test. Uh, the association has urged the Supreme Court and a friend of the court brief to uphold Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's overreaching regulations. They say it promotes financial stability. In other words, supporting housing prices by making it harder for lenders to foreclose on owners who can't afford their mortgages. I mean, these people uh, are really using the government with all of their money to influence everything in, in along the lines of financing and keeping your home. And But they're not, they're not forcing anybody to use them. So I don't think this is a case that, as much as I don't like what they're doing, it it doesn't strike me as a case of, you know, an evil monopoly created or protected by the government. You just have to bite the bullet. Realtors have to bite the bullet. Start some competition. Do it locally. Um, going after them for being successful and having a corner on the market, well, that doesn't strike me as fair. 
Uh, let's see. Gary, locally, the realtors donate money to politicians to have a piece of city and county purchases. An example would, e- would uh, easily be the $225,000 an acre that was paid for the fire station land in the south end of town about three years ago. I was the only one who even questioned it. When Vicki Shy traded the North Fairgrounds property for the old location and then sold the old location to the city for over $3 million, uh, $3 million influence on local uh, uh, levels keeps uh, realtors donating. Compete. It's not easy. Compete. Start your own listing service. Offer to list homes. And, you know, maybe maybe you can't use the MLS. And maybe the realtors will have to work a little harder to sell the homes. But you got to earn that money. That 6% commission's a killer. You get through taking that out of the price of your home... And you'd think you got held up. The only thing is they they weren't wearing a mask. I don't want to hurt the realtors, but I think they need to compete. They need to get away from the MLS. They need to start some independent way of listing their homes and making it available. I like, you know, and friends of mine who are in the business here in Columbia... Who, who uh, you know, say stay away from Trulia. Uh, I disagree. Go to Trulia. Look for homes that aren't listed um, with the MLS. Save yourself some money. See if you can buy a house outside of that. And, and if somebody, some enterprising entrepreneur in the state of Missouri starts their own listing site, Who knows? Maybe they become the next multimillionaire. But Zillow and Trulia and those other places, definitely a place to find a house that isn't listed with the MLS or a realtor. And you can do it. And you can get, you can even get it. You know, if you get an attorney to handle the transaction, it's still going to cost you less than 6% of the value of your home. Don't you think that's highway robbery? 6%? I, I do. I think it's a hell of a commission. And what happens, you know, sometimes you get a really active realtor like we did, and that's terrific. But sometimes, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's people going through the listings themselves and they go, hey, tell, let me go see this house. Or realtors aren't, in some cases, doing very much. All right, 874-9390-800-529-5572. Uh, there is um, little good news about oil and gas. A Wall Street Journal piece about Chevron uh, betting on peak green energy. We'll give you the details on that. Uh, it, it's uh, the Gary Nolan Show. And it's the Zimmer Radio Network. And you can go to GaryNolan.com and send me a message. It'll pop up right here in studio. If you're a realtor and you disagree with what I said, by all means, call. I'd love to hear from you. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio Network.
is the Gary Nolan Show. It's uh, 1035, and uh, we're going to chat with Jennifer Bukowski here in a minute. But here's the thing on the real estate thing. Uh, in the state of Missouri, if you want to sell real estate, you, you've got to get a license. That's where, the, that's where the monopoly is. That's where the government is, is overstepping its boundary. It's not that these people voluntarily uh, use the MLS because it's the best way to go. Somebody could compete with the MLS. It's that it's the licensing. And they literally offer classes. You can spend hundreds of dollars taking classes to prepare you to take the test to get the license to sell real estate. What the hell is that all about? It's, it's, uh, that's where you've got the government involvement uh, that, that needs to be eliminated. You shouldn't need a license. You may take these classes and say, hey, I've been certified. I've had these classes. That's a sales tool, but it shouldn't be mandatory. Uh, by the way, the, the realtors that I worked with, and I told you they were really good, um, Meyer Works, Jim and Lisa Meyer, uh, they did a terrific job for me. Let me go to the phones here, and then uh, we'll, we'll chat with Jennifer. Maybe bring, in, bring her in on the conversation. Uh, Jim, good morning. Welcome. How are you? Hi, uh, Gary. Uh, thanks for letting me uh, call in. Hey, uh, one thing to keep in mind is it's worse than that, and that is that the uh, Missouri Board of Realtors is uh, funding a campaign against those who would uh, change anything in the way the uh, initiative petition is uh, carried out in Missouri and ratified, uh, in other words, for constitutional amendments. Mm -hmm. And right now it's a simple majority, period. You one vote more than those that say nay, one more yay, and that's it. Yep. And I know you've talked to had Ron Calzone on. Right. And he has a much nicer and uh, very logical and conservative uh, way, which is a concurrent majority ratification. And uh, the State Board of Realtors has uh, bought into their, their management, their upper level uh, that control the, the, their group has bought into what their lobbyist has pushed, which is this simple majority. And he works for not just the State Board of Realtors, but many other organizations, apparently. And uh, so he has other vested interests that would like it to remain as a simple majority. So if you have a realtor friend that might be, uh, uh, you might talk to them, because I believe that uh, the two realtors that I've talked to, they're not in favor of this. Uh opposing changes to the uh, constitutional uh, amendment process. Yeah, they, but they've got so much money uh, that it's, it's going to be hard to beat them. We'll see what the politicians do. Jim, you make good sense. Thank you. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. If you want more information about that, by the way, go to mofirst.org. Mofirst.org. But there shouldn't be a licensing process. Uh, the state of Missouri shouldn't have a board of realtors that decides whether or not you can sell real estate. Uh, that should be totally governed by the free market. They can offer classes. You can get certified, uh, that sort of thing. But a license should not be necessary. What is necessary is introducing Jennifer Bukowski. Because every week at this time, she comes on and shares her knowledge. And 
It's always entertaining. Good morning. Good morning, Gary. How are you? Doing well. So uh, up on the news, it looks like Jenna Ellis is pled guilty now too um, in that Fulton County case. Yeah, against it's, Trump. A lot of attorneys seem to be doing that. It's not against. Yeah. I don't know if she's gonna what she could say against Trump. But is there a different standard for an attorney to have known that they were violating a law or versus, uh, you know, the president who might not be aware or might rely on an attorney to give him the information? Well, there is in the jury's mind, because for every crime you have a mens rea element, it's like, do you, do you prove, if, depending on the level, but did you prove that they knowingly did this? And... Uh, while ignorance of the law is no defense, uh, I think that attorneys are held to a higher standard when it comes to these complex cases than other defendants, by jurors. Well, do you see them, it, it, you know, it, it really is kind of, we have to apologize to the state, oh, that was a horrible thing, but it, do you see them turning on Donald Trump? Do you think that's the deal they made? I mean, yeah, I think that's an incentive that Fannie Willis is offering them a chance where they will not have a felony. They will not have to do jail time, but they do have to cooperate as part of their deal. This will, she just has to pay 5000 in restitution, five years of probation, and 100 hours of community service. That's, uh, she also had to write a letter of apology to Georgia citizens. And through tears, she wrote a statement to the court where she said she should have done more to investigate claims of election fraud before launching challenges in several states. Um, she said she failed to do her due diligence. And if she knew then what she knows now, she would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. She looks back to this whole experience with deep remorse. She's kind of interesting because she switched to Team DeSantis, and I think that the Trump people had not uh, had decided not to fund her defense because some of the other co-defendants, there's a fund that's being managed by, I forget the person's name, but they're, it's like through a PAC that's being overseen, and I think because she was now a DeSantis person, she wasn't receiving um, help with her defense, which... Is ex- I, I can only imagine being extraordinarily expensive and financially ruinous for all but billionaires, you know? Plus the prospect of never being able to work as an attorney again. I can't really blame them necessarily for taking plea deals, especially she's 38 years old. Um, it's an out for her. And I don't know whether what she has to say will implicate Trump in the RICO case or not, when she herself didn't plead to it. So you could always say, well, didn't you get a deal for this testimony and try to uh, diminish your credibility that way? But now you've got three different lawyers who have similarly taken deals. You can make that claim against all of them if you're Trump's defense, but it, they'll probably make articulate witnesses and uh, could be powerful witnesses against him on what I believe to be a ridiculous case to begin with. Well, the whole RICO thing is kind of ridiculous. I can't believe they have a statute like that in Georgia. I'll tell you what, Gary, they've tried over the years. We have a lukewarm RICO statute that's kind of tricky that we got a couple of years ago here in Missouri. 
we need to resist every effort to broaden it. It just gives these uh, prosecutors too much power. Is there something wrong with the system that allows them to to manipulate people the way they are in this case? Because it doesn't just happen in Georgia. It happens everywhere. Yeah, it is. It is difficult, and it's just part of I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. That it, there are tools for prosecutors to get the biggest fish in a particular case. I guess it's good when you do have, like, a, I don't know, a drug cartel or something smuggling humans and killing people to have some sort of law that you could associate them all together with criminal behavior um, and then use the co-defendants to get compelling testimony to get the one you really want. But it does give them a lot of flexibility and a lot of options. Um, so uh, I think the, the war on drugs... I think the war on drugs is what created this. Uh, the statute, yeah, the statutory yeah. schemes. So you know, it, it can be it can be used uh, elsewhere once once that was yeah, created. Wasn't it the war on alcohol that they came up with this concept on to begin with the Rico stuff. <laughs> it may have. I don't know how far back it goes, but I yeah, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. We just keep trying to regulate everybody else's behavior, and uh, in order to to do that effectively, you need you need the power to really crush their freedom, uh, and and that's what these kinds of laws do. Anyway, uh, and it'll then, be when they get abused like this, where they're just used over broadly, then we start losing faith in the system, don't we? And that's really a shame on Fannie Willis for that. Yeah, she. Yeah, I'm sure she'll she'll really regret this. Um, <laughs> I'm sure she's just really her head she is in her hands right now. And right now, yeah. yeah no, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, you write not MIT too, uh, as in also T O O. Um, MIT students terrified after anti-Israel rally uh, chant calls for one solution intifada. This is really getting ugly. Uh, and there's more to this. I'm seeing uh, stories of uh, Jewish people getting uh, taking classes uh, for concealed carry, learning how to shoot, buying guns. Even people who are anti-gun are recognizing that they need guns to protect themselves. Interesting kind of turn of events here. But we'll talk about MIT next with Jennifer Bukowski. 1051 and Jennifer Bukowski is with us on The Gary Nolan Show. Uh, and uh, we're going to cover it. She's uh, not just a, a brilliant criminal defense attorney, but she has her finger on the pulse of what goes on in the zeitgeist. Uh, not MIT, too. Do tell. What is this about? Well, MIT students uh, held a anti-Israel rally chanting one solution, intifada. And, Gary, let me tell you, intifada is an Arabic word, literally meaning as a noun, tremor, shivering, shuddering. It is derived from an Arabic term, nafada, meaning to shake off, shake off, get rid of, as a dog might shrug off water, or as one might shake off a deep sleep or dirt from one's sandals. And it means, like, overthrowing um, Israel, basically, and eliminating Israel. So you have a, a school with... Some of the top minds in the world, including this Israeli, uh, Israeli PhD student who's only 19 years old, that she is very concerned for her own personal safety and might not have gone to MIT if she had known that this 
was going to be uh, the kind of environment that she'd be subjected to it, an anti-Semitic one. And i got to tell you, Gary, I'm shocked, too, because I've always looked at MIT as like a dream college for one of my children. And so far, they've more or less stayed out of this kind of nonsense, you know, even though they are in Cambridge, where, where Harvard, which is a clown school, I'm starting to believe, is also located. And it's uh, really disappointing to see that this stuff is taking place at MIT as well. Yeah, um, I would uh, I would uh, send the kids uh, to Michigan. Uh, there's a college campus up there that that'll give them a terrific education. Um, probably won't poison. Where Ilya Nomar is from? Or no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't you ever read Imprimis? Or Rashida Tlaib? Or which one is from? Where? Are they both from Michigan? At least one of them is from Michigan. One of them is uh, from Michigan, but uh, aren't you familiar with the, the magazine Imprimis? I am not. I'll have to check that out. Oh, yeah. Michigan is a top law school. Well, but, uh, this is a very conservative, libertarian campus that I'm recommending. And I, I think you ought to send your kids there. Forget MIT. Well, I don't know about that, though, Gary, because I feel like that could be like a mark against them for life in certain occupations. Just go to like a Hillsboro or these other places. That's what I'm talking about, Hillsboro. It's going to be a stigma against them. Oh, well, I've heard of Hillsboro, of course. Oh, they're the ones I, that produce the, the premise. Kids that go there might be stigmatized or, or whatever um, throughout life. So uh, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword you have to wrestle with as a parent and trying to advise your kids on these choices and uh, to make good decisions with your wallet, quite frankly, because these places are not cheap. Well, I, I think that uh, it's a great university. It's uh, not my kids, though, so I, <laughs> I'm not going to debate that issue. Uh, but I, I, I'm seeing that uh, Jewish families, even formerly anti-gun Jewish people, are going out and getting guns, learning to use them, taking classes, learning the law. And there is no doubt in my mind that many of these radical Muslims are in the United States, and you don't know where they're at. They could pop up anywhere. Imagine what they could do if they suddenly popped up in a couple of shopping malls uh, across the state of Missouri. Right. Or you got to worry about them doing it in places of high Jewish concentrations because they seem to hate Jewish people the most. And by but proxy, America for supporting Israel. Or Christians either, yeah. So I'm just telling you, I literally, uh, and I got plenty of ammunition, but I'm actually going to stock up a little bit more. And they're starting to have an effect on the supply. So Really? Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been thinking about, this stuff makes me want to go buy another gun, too, so I'm sure there's some of that in play. So uh, it is a problem, and, and uh, it, there are a lot of very wealthy supporters of these colleges that are saying, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you any more money. They're pulling out. Yes. And I, good for them. You know, I mean, that's the only real tool that you have of influence with these places is the threat of withdrawal or the withdrawal of your money. Uh, because otherwise, I mean, that's what they want from you as an alumni. And so if that's the tool that you have to try to get them to 
you know, create certain programs that you'd like to see there and or, you know, condemn activities that make people feel unsafe on campus. Now, I'm all for free speech, and, uh, and I think it's good that we have free speech because now we're aware that these people are out here that are so anti-Semitic. You know, after the World War II, we say never again. And, and it's happening to Muslims, too. The Uyghurs over in China, years and years have gone by. No one seems to really care about that. Um, and so that never again thing, I guess we weren't serious about that, were we? I guess not. I guess not. Um, let's uh, let's see. What do we have? Brian, what do I got? I got about three minutes left. Two minutes. But I want to talk about Aruba and and Natalie Holloway. What's going on there? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. And I called this, and I was either on your show or filling in for Randy last week. He confessed in detail as part of his plea deal for um, uh, to committing the murder. Uh, in that extortion case in Alabama last week. Well, now that part of that plea deal agreed that his confession wouldn't be used by U.S. authorities to, you know, in any kind of murder prosecution, but U.S. authorities never had jurisdiction over any kind of murder prosecution. Aruban authorities did. And the prosecutor in Aruba said, yes, Aruba does have a 12-year statute of limitations on murder, but it's not so cut and dry. And I think it depends on, like, what the prosecutor is kind of vague on what it depends on in the investigatory phases, but they're looking for the body. And that, that makes me think that if they find the body, that there's some sort of exemption to the statute of limitations. And so they're asking the U.S. government to give them the official documents from this confession. And they're saying that the investigation's open. So you might end up getting um, charged with this murder after all. We shall see. But in the meantime, he's in a Peruvian a high-up prison where he can't get any cell phone service and it's freezing cold for killing another girl. And uh, I think that that is a perfectly fine place for him to be, not in Aruba, not in American prison, but in this Peruvian one that sounds unpleasant because this guy seems like an evil sort of character. It, it is really uh, an, an ugly picture when you see what he has, uh, what he has done. I. I don't know what and he's he, lost his looks too. Over like he used to be a pretty good looking guy, and uh, not so much at his plea hearing last week. Yeah, well, he's probably Bubba's little buddy now. So um, maybe he's, he's a pretty big dude, though. I mean, it's yeah, all, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. All right, we're going to come back. Liz Cheney, we talked about her yesterday. Hubris or stupid? That's next. This is The Gary Nolan Show.